You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today we're very excited to have a special guest speaker with us. Now let's prepare our hearts as our special guest brings forth God's truth from His Word today. All right, let's take our uh, Bibles. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to be looking at verses 15 through 16 and then 19 through 21. When you're there, say amen. Amen. Sounds like most of you are there. 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 15 through 16, then 19 through 21. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto him, Now at this point, He's speaking to Elijah, all right? That's who he's speaking to at this point. He's speaking to Elijah, about to give him the command to go call Elisha to come in under him as the next prophet. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shall thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel Mahola, I practiced that like five times this morning. I'm not kidding you. I actually looked up the audio and listened to it, and I still, still, uh, still struggle with it. Abel Mahola, amen, that guy. Man, these Old Testament names, they kill me. Shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. Verse 19. Here we'll see his, the situation and the circumstances that happened as he called Elisha to come serve underneath him. So he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. And he with the 12th. And Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let I pray thee, uh, uh, let me I pray thee, Kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, Go back again, for for what have I done to thee? And he returned back from him, and took a yoke of oxen, and slew them, and boiled their flesh upon the instruments of the oxen, and gave unto the people, and they did eat. And he arose, and he went after Elijah, and ministered unto him. Here's the question I have for you this morning. Here's the question, and it will make sense throughout the course of the message. And this could be even the title of the message, is Are You All In? Are You All In? Let's pray. Dear Lord, just thank you for this day. Thank you for all your wonderful blessings. Thank you for uh, giving me the opportunity to communicate the truth of the scriptures to the people. I pray that you will fill me with your spirit and that as we hear from your word this morning that you will speak to us, challenge us, And I pray that as we leave, we will leave more like you than when we got here. I pray all these things in your holy, precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. So the question today is, are you all in? The story we're going to be looking at is the story of Elijah as he, by God, gets commanded to go call Elisha to be mentored under him. But are you all in? God is, when you're all in, when you're all in, you are asking God 
to do the impossible in your life. When you're all in, you are asking God to do the impossible in your life. We like stories about people that are all in. You guys know what I mean by all in. You know, right? You know what I'm talking about? Like people that just, they give 110% towards that thing. And of course, we're talking about being all in for God. Just being completely and totally all in. But we love stories about people that are all in. We love the Olympics, right? And, the, you know, during the Olympics, and they do like those little brief stories about how the people got to where they were. And you're like, wow, those people were all in. We love stories like that. But there's this one guy uh, in American history, an American hero who was all in. When you're all in, great things can happen. And this was a guy who was all in. How many of you here have ever heard of Audie Murphy? Is anybody familiar with Audie Murphy? I love this story. It's a pretty cool story. Audie Murphy was born in Texas on June 20th, 1925. He eventually became the most decorated soldier in World War II. Though he was only 21 by the end of the war, only 21 by the end, he had killed over 240 Germans, German soldiers. He had been wounded three times and earned an amazing 33 awards and medals. This guy was all in. It's, it's really interesting. He actually tried to join the military at age 15 when, when the war happened. He tried to join the military at age 15. And none of, the, none of the branches of the military would accept him. They wouldn't accept him because of his age. He was only 15 years old. I mean, that's young. That is young to want to go and, and serve your country. He's only 15 years old. He's only five and a half feet tall. And he's only 100 pounds soaking wet. This guy had all the odds against him. Eventually, by the time he turned 17, he was able to somehow maneuver his way into the army and talk his way into get it to joining the army. In one battle, I mean, this guy was just incredible. If you research and find out things about his life, I mean, this guy, this guy was all in. In one battle, he was there, and they were, they were hunkered down, and, and the, the, the machine gunners were, were blasting him, and his friends, um, some of his friends around him, uh, there in the trenches, got shot and died. And he went into full beast mode. He charged the machine guns, killed the guys that were on the machine guns, picked him up and turned around and started driving back all of the soldiers with their own ammunition and their own machine guns. That's the type of guy that he was. His most famous battle probably is when um, they, were, they, were, they were in a battle um, and they were in retreat. And, and the enemy was, was firing on him. And you know when you're firing on retreat, you're totally exposed. It's your back. You, you, you can't defend yourself. Nothing. So that's the, literally the worst place to be in. He climbs aboard a tank that's on fire. Gets behind the 50 caliber. And he sits there. And for over an hour, he holds back. Let me get the numbers right here. I believe he held back six enemy tanks and wave after wave of soldiers that were trying to overtake them, protecting his fellow soldiers. Now, I don't know if you know a lot about fire and about fuel, but when you combine those two things, they tend to be 
a little bit explosives, a little bit of a, a little bit of a boom. So he's up there. This is how all in he was. He's up there on top of a tank to protect his comrades on the tank, completely exposed behind the 50 caliber on top of a ticking time bomb. That's, that's the type of guy he was. Once his ammunition ran out, he slipped off the tank and stumbled towards the woods. He's quoted as saying in his biography, I mean, just, just listen to how, how, how hardcore this guy is. <clears throat> I slid off the tank destroyer and without even once looking back, walked down the road through the forest. If the Germans want to kill me, let them. I am too weak from fear and exhaustion to even care. <laughs> that guy was all in. We love stories about people that are all in. Now let's look at it spiritually. When we're all in, when we're all in with God, when you're all in, what you are asking do, what you are asking is for God to perform the impossible in your life. God is looking for individuals who are all in. Do you ever struggle like I do? Um, you know, this, this life is a constant struggle. Amen? Day in and day out, it's just, it's just a struggle. It just is. I mean, we're bombarded on every side with temptation, with, with uh, lies, with things that aren't the truth. And it's just a struggle. And do you ever have a struggle trusting God? I do. There's times I struggle trusting God. Do you ever struggle being all in, just being completely and totally surrendered? Do you ever struggle like just giving up full control of your wants and your desires? And, and when you know God is calling you to do something, there's a struggle there. God's looking for, for individuals who are all in to accomplish amazing things through this in this world. Now, speaking about being all in, Let's look at the life of Elisha. I just absolutely love this guy's life. What an, an incredible life. What incredible lessons we can learn from the life of Elisha. So let's look here in this passage. First off, let me give you a little bit of background of what's going on in the nation of Israel at this time. By this time that we're reading here right now, the nation of Israel has been split into two separate territories, all right? Um, down south, you have the, um, they were split into Judah, and their um, capital was Jerusalem. And in the north, you have Israel, and their capital was Samaria. So imagine it like this. The United States, if it happened during the Civil War that things didn't get taken care of, right? We were split into two different countries. That's kind of what happened right here with God's people. They have split into two different countries. It was David, it was Solomon, and then Solomon had a son who made some really poor decisions which caused a conflict and the country split in two. So that's what's going on right now. The country is in two separate places. The books of 1st and 2nd Kings, we're near the end of 1st Kings, the books of 1st and 2nd Kings, what it does is it traces, jumping back and forth between the kingdoms, tracing the fate of each kingdom and, and what it did. Um, through it, the book of First and Second Kings, it traces um, the lineage or the, what's going on with the kings. And each king in the book of First and Second Kings are judged by a few criteria by God. Okay, here's, here's the criteria God judges the kings. Do they worship God alone or do they worship other gods? Have they worshiped other gods? 
did the king deal with the idolatry that was in the land? And were they remaining faithful to the covenant like David was, or had they become corrupt and unjust? All right? So that's the criteria by which God judges each and every one of these kings. As you read through 1 Kings, you'll see that. The nation of Israel, or the, 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 the part of Israel, the northern part, they didn't do too hot, okay? Their good kings were zero for 20, all right? They, they didn't do so good up in Israel. They had some pretty bad kings. In Judah, they really didn't do a whole lot better, but they were better. They had eight for 20, all right? So eight kings followed God out of 20 people. So what are the prophets, all right? What, what are the prophets? What do they do during this time of Israel's history? Um, Elijah and Elisha were both prophets. What were they? Well, the prophets were key figures at this time in the nation's history. All right? They were very important key figures. In a summary, this is, this is what they were. They spoke to the people and to the kings on behalf of God. Okay? It's really interesting. As I share with you kind of what a prophet was, it's very similar to what pastors are today, honestly. Um, but they spoke on behalf of God. They were, in essence, covenant watchdogs for the nation of Israel. Okay? They knew the covenant, and they were there as kind of watchdogs to make sure the nation of Israel was continually, continuing to follow um, the covenant that God had laid out which means they called out idolatry and injustice among kings and the people. They were constantly, constantly, if you read the Old Testament at all, you know they were constantly reminding the nation of Israel of their responsibility to obey the commandments of the Torah, or we would call it um, the scriptures, or, or the uh, first part of the scriptures. That's what they were doing. So they were calling Israel to repent and follow their God. So, Pretty much what the prophets did is they were there by God to hold the nation of Israel, God's chosen people at that time, or they still are, but to hold the nation of Israel accountable to God. Does that make sense? That's what they were there for. Kind of like children and your parents. Your parents keep you accountable for doing what you're supposed to do. That's kind of what the prophets were at that time. So, so now we understand where the nation is, what the prophets are. Now let's look at the life of Elisha and see exactly what is going on in this passage. So let's, let's, let's talk about a few different things before we read through here about what Elisha is. A little bit about the life of Elisha. First off, obviously, he was an Old Testament prophet. We kind of picked that up already. He was the student of Elijah. All right? Don't get it mixed up. Elijah, Elisha. Um, Elijah was one of the great prophets of the Old Testament. I don't have time to go into his life, obviously, but a great prophet of the Old Testament, Elijah. Elisha was his student. Elijah was, or excuse me, Elijah was developing Elisha and working with him, and the purpose was for Elisha to take over his, what he was doing and called by God which just really quickly is a great illustration of each and every one of you in leadership always need to be training, mentoring somebody else, especially spiritually, to take the mantle. Amen? Don't just let it die. You always need to be investing in the next generation, in the next to take over, because someday they are going to be the leaders. That's a little side note there. Um, but, you know, I always think it's funny that Elijah and Elisha have such similar names. You know, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of that uh, Geico commercial in 
the gecko's there and he's like, he gets that phone call, he's like, I'm a gecko, not a geico, so stop calling me. I'm just like, it's so funny, like Elijah and Elisha, for the rest of history, these two guys are going to get their names mixed up, all right? Don't say God doesn't have a sense of humor. All right, so Elisha, Elisha, we already know Elijah was a pretty amazing prophet. I mean, he did just incredible things, don't have time to go into that, but Elisha was bold enough to ask Elijah for a double portion of power upon his own life. That was a bold request. I'm just going to read this to you right here because it just shows you once he was developed under Elijah, shows the boldness that he developed. And it says, And it came to pass, when they were gone over, Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, Whew, thou hast asked a hard thing. I can just see it like, he's just like, whoa. Like he thinks about his whole life, all that God had done. Whew, it's kind of heavy, Elisha. This is what he says. Whew, thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if thou see me not, it shall not be so. So in other words, he says, if you see God take me away, this double portion of power will be upon you. If not, well, then God's chosen not to do it. And as you know the story, he did see Elijah be taken away. He has this man, Elisha, and this is important to understand the significance of how great this man was to, to get to the point of the message here today. Elisha has more recorded miracles in the scriptures than anyone else, excluding Jesus Christ himself. So that's, pretty, that's a pretty impressive resume right there. More recorded miracles in the scriptures, only topped by Jesus. Some of his miracles include dividing the Jordan. There's a, one of the miracles where there's a group of boys making fun of him because he was bald and old, and uh, he called out some bears and they ate him. We'll have to do a message on that so you can have the context. But if you don't believe me, pull out the Bible and read it for yourself. Um, he was able to raise the dead. He caused a, an axe head to float in the water. Uh, he purified poison stew. The list goes on and on as some of the amazing miracles that Elisha performed. And he lived during the 9th century B.C. And at this time, the nation of Israel was full of idolatry and Baal worship. So now we understand the significance of Elisha's life and, and the, the incredible things that God was able to do in and through this man. So where did it all begin? Where did it all begin? Let's look at Elisha's humble beginnings and see if we can't draw some application for ourselves and to see his illustration of what he was doing and the situations that took place behind his life and see how we can do these same things. So let's look here. Let's, let's go ahead and read through this one more time. Um, 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 19 through 21. So he departed thence, Elijah going to find Elisha. So he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. And he went with the twelve. And Elijah passed by and cast his mantle upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said unto him, I pray thee, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother and I will follow thee. 
And he said unto him, Go back again, for what have I done to thee? And he returned back from him, and took the yoke of oxen, and slew them, boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen, and gave unto the people, and they did eat. And he arose and went after Elisha, and ministered unto him. So here we have God's calling upon the life of Elisha. This is God's divine calling upon the life of Elisha. I, want, I call this part of the message God's extraordinary call on ordinary Elisha. God's extraordinary call on ordinary Elisha. Do any of you ever feel like me and sometimes you just feel ordinary? Sometimes just too ordinary? Just like if I was in a crowd, ain't nobody ever going to be able to pick me out? Here we're going to see God's extraordinary call on ordinary Elisha. Let's, let's see some things that Elisha wasn't. He was extremely ordinary when God called him. You know what he wasn't? He wasn't a priest when God called him. God's calling him to be one of the greatest, arguably the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. He wasn't a priest. He didn't have all that knowledge. He wasn't royalty. He wasn't wealthy. Amen? How many of you can relate with that? <laughs> he didn't go to Bible college. He was an ordinary guy, probably living at home with his parents, and God called him to do something extraordinary with his life. Listen, God doesn't choose people. God doesn't look at people with, with his plans about what he's going to do. He doesn't do it the way we do it, right? So if we're looking for people to do great, incredible things, we're looking for, you know, here's some of the things that we look up to and we respect. You know, that person is so talented. They're going to do so much. They're so talented, right? That's what we look at. That person's so talented. Or that person's, you know, they're just so good looking. I'm just so ugly. I'm not going to be able to do anything. As if looks had anything to do with what you could do in life. Or that person has such a good personality. They're so naturally, such a good personality. Like, I just hate, every time I get around people, my pants get sweaty and I get nervous. I don't know what to say. That person has such a good personality. Or that person has all the money. They can do literally anything they want because they have the wealth. Or that person has such great, he's, he's such a strong personality. He's just going to be such a great leader. Such a strong personality. Or physical strength. Whew. I'm so glad God doesn't use that as a criteria. I'm such a baby. I was telling somebody the other day, I'm like, man, I'm, I'm such a baby when it comes to push-ups. I think I was telling Forrest. I was like, I'm like, I'm like, get down there with other people, like seven push-ups in. I'm just like, oh, my arms are like shaking. And like, these people are, oh, anyways, thank the Lord he doesn't need physical strength. Listen, we find out, we'll, or we will find out more about the types of things God looks for as we dive deeper into um, the life of Elisha, but God is not, God does not put value on the things we naturally put value on. Amen? That is not what God puts value on. We'll see this from the life of Elisha. Let's, let's think about where Elisha was right now when God called him. Where was he? Elisha, at the time God called him, Elisha was being faithful in his calling. Let me say that again. Elisha was being faithful in his calling. 
Let's look at verse 19 again. So he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. So what was he doing right now when the calling came? He was plowing with the oxen. Now, plowing back then with a yoke with, uh, with in, in fields is not like today, right? Today, you got the tractors. Um, if you got those nice ones, they're air conditioning. They're probably in there listening to music, you know, just uh, clearing all that out. You got windshield wipers. That's not the way it was back then. Back then, it's more like little house on the prairie. You know what I mean? Like, oh, there's a stone and you got to dig the stone out. Okay, that's more the way... It was back then. It was hard. It, I'm, I'm sure it was boring, right? Day in, day out, plowing. I'm sure it was boring, monotonous. This was, this was not an exciting job, okay? I'm sure at night when he got, there was no great adventures happening when he was plowing. His biggest adventure was probably, I got through the whole day without having to dig stones out or having to dig a big rock out. It was probably the most exciting thing that happened. And I'm sure at night when he got home and was on social media, all of his other friends had more exciting things happening in their life than he did. Everybody's life probably just looked amazing. People were probably going on vacation to Canaan and, and you know, uh, eating grapes and, and working in the vineyards. Oh, vineyards are so much better than corn. He was faithful in his calling. Now, have, have any of you ever smelled oxen? I don't know if anybody's ever been to a farm. But it probably wasn't fun. Oxen can be smelly, all right? Remember, he, he's plowing behind oxen. The oxen are in front of him. And I don't know if you know what naturally happens to oxen. So he's plowing behind him, and he's stepping in poo all day. All right, let's just be real. Let's just understand what's going on. All day long, he's sitting there, and what's he staring at? All right, okay? He's, I just want you to, to see what's going on. Day after day, day in and day out, he's being faithful to his calling. Plow, poop, rear ends. Plow, poop, rear ends. Actually, that sounds a lot like a mother's life, now that I think about it. Have you ever felt like Elijah, or uh, excuse me, Elisha? See, even I'm going to get them mixed up. Have you ever felt like Elisha during this time? Maybe for uh, the teenagers, math problem after math problem after math problem, after broken pencil after sharpened pencil. Or, you know, mothers, like we just said, diaper after diaper after cleaning the, the house after washing the dishes. And as soon as you get done, the kids have already trashed the house. It just boggles my mind at how fast children can destroy a clean house. It's really impressive. Uh, it's amazing. But day in and day out, taking the garbage out, vacuuming the floor. You know, dads, 5.30 in the morning. Back home. Next day, well, hopefully, and floss, don't forget. But day in and day out, you know what I mean? Day in, day out, same thing, over and over and over again. 
Listen, we can be all in in our calling. Each and every one of us is called to a different thing. And we can be all in in the calling God has called us to. And we've each been called to something different. When you're all in, you are faithful to your calling. When you're all in, you're asking God to perform the impossible in your life. God is looking for individuals who are all in. All right, so when you're all in, you're faithful to your calling. So here we see Elisha. He's faithful to where he has been called. All right, let's look a little bit more here. Uh, Verse 19 again, the, the end of the verse. And Elijah passed by him. And cast his mantle upon him. This is what Elijah was, or Elijah was saying. He was saying, you are under my care. I'm taking the lead in your life. Will you submit to my leading? Will you be willing to come under my authority? Listen, if you're going to do anything of anything in your life, you have to learn how to submit to authority. I hate to tell you, it's just the way the world turns. If you refuse to submit to authority things will not go well for you, okay? That's not part of the message, but I guess it is now, all right? So here we see Elisha submitting to the authority of Elijah in his life. Let's draw two applications, two applications, two more applications from the life of Elisha as we read here and see the way he responded to the calling of God in his life. And here's the first one. You don't have to understand fully to be all in immediately. You don't have to understand fully what God is doing to be all in immediately. Now let's look here in in verse 20. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother. Let's look at that first part. And he left the oxen. And ran after Elijah right away. You know what he didn't do at this time when, when the calling of, the God, of God came upon his life to do this specific thing? You know what he didn't do? He didn't get a piece of paper out and write a line down the middle and put all the pros and all the cons of what's, what, you know, what, I just don't know if this is it. He didn't have to talk to his friends and see what they all had to say about it. He didn't have to get all the details. Be like, all right, I see that you're calling me, but listen, what's your, what's your, what's your five-year and ten-year plan for this? Right? That's not what he needed. He, he didn't need to get all the details ahead of time. He didn't, find, he didn't, need, he didn't need to find out how much he was going to get paid. Thank goodness. That wouldn't have taken long to figure out. He didn't need to know how long it was going to take. Now, now listen, none of those things are wrong when you're trying to discern God's will, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about trying to discern God's will. I'm talking about when you know God has called you to do something. Amen? When you know God has asked you specifically to go somewhere, to do something, to give something, it's very clear. You don't need to do all those things. You already got the word from the Lord. We're not talking about seeking the Lord's will. We're talking about following the Lord's will in this message. This is what he said. This is what he said, in essence. He said, I'm all in right now, right here, at this moment. I trust God. I trust you. Let's do this thing. All right? That, in essence, reading into a little bit, was Elisha's response to God's calling on his life. I heard this quote by a pastor, and it just so well applies to this next point that we see here. Elisha... 
in Elisha's life. All right? And here's the point. Here's the quote. Those God uses the most are those who hold on to the least. Those God uses the most are those who hold on to the least. Those that God chooses to, to truly use in great and powerful ways are those who have surrendered all their possessions, everything they have, over to the Lord. Let's, let's see here what happens here. Verse 21. And he returned back from him and took the yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen and gave unto the people and they did eat. Okay, so let's understand what happened. Elijah comes, he get, Elisha gets the call of Elijah upon his life to come after him, to, to be mentored under him, to, 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 to serve as the next prophet. After he's called, he takes his oxen, he kills them, he then takes the plow, he breaks the plow into small pieces, puts the plow into a pile, lights it on fire, and uses that to cook the flesh of the oxen to serve to the people. Now let's understand the significance of that. What he was doing is he was literally taking his tools of the trade, right? This was, this was how he made an income, okay? It was the oxen and the plows. He had money invested in this, right? He'd probably been saving up for a long time. I mean, this is, the, this is Plow XL 2000. It doesn't get any better than this. He just got it. He went from two oxen to four to six to ten, and now he has 24 oxen as part of his fleet of plowing. Like, he's been really working up this thing. Those God uses the most are the ones who hold on to the least. He takes, you know what, in essence, what he was doing? He was saying, I am following God, and I'm not leaving myself an out. That's what he was saying. I'm not leaving myself. He said, I'm getting rid of my backup plan. Like, when the going gets tough, I'm not going to come and start plowing again. Now, we know... Some other people in scriptures didn't stick with it that hardcore, right? The disciples, what happened when the going got tough? Their Lord had died. They went back fishing. Elisha was like, no, I'm not leaving myself that option. I'm all in. I am all in following God. He did not leave himself a backup plan. And because of this type of commitment, because Elisha was all in, and he was willing to have God use his life. He became arguably the greatest prophet of all time. What about us? What about us? What about you and me? Are you all in? <clears throat> in your life, as you think about it, as you analyze your life, you ask yourself, am I all in? Or am I holding something back? Maybe God's asking you to give something up in your life. What are you holding on to? 
What are you holding on to that is keeping God from doing all that he wants to do in your life? What is it? You know, maybe it's friends, right? And I'm not just talking to teenagers. Maybe, maybe it's the people you choose to spend the time with and you know this is not helping me in my life. This is hindering me in my life. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe you're bitter at somebody. And you just can't give that thing up. That's, that's mine. That's my bitterness. You have no idea what they did to me. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's secret sin. Nobody knows about. But you've got a secret sin that's keeping you from being all in. Maybe it's money. Love of money. You just can't surrender things because of your love for money. Maybe it's your plans. These are my plans. I know God is asking me to do this, but that's going to not allow me to do this. Listen, when we follow God, you know what we do? We always give up things that are good for something that's great. That's what we do. But maybe it's your plans. Maybe it's your desires. You're afraid God's going to ask you to do something you don't want to do. Maybe it's a relationship or a job. What is keeping you back from being all in with God? Is God asking you, maybe it's this, you know, maybe God really wants to do something here at Fellowship Baptist Church, and you've felt that prick in your life, like I've got to, God has been calling me to get involved in the work of the ministry, but you're just not willing to be all in. You're afraid of what it's going to cost you. You don't want to give up those oxen and those plows in your life. Maybe it's getting involved in the ministry. Maybe it's being more faithful to church. You're like, yeah, I'll make it to church when I can. But man, in the summer, oh, we just love going out on the lake and, and spending family time together. That's just our family time is Sundays. You're not all in. You're, you're just doing what's convenient. You got some cows and plows you need to get rid of in your life. Maybe it's being more faithful to church. Maybe it's going on a mission trip. You felt that prompting, like, a go on the mission trip and, and serve the Lord over there, but you just haven't been willing to step out by faith and do it. Maybe it's giving towards a special project. Maybe it's sharing the gospel with a coworker. Here's what I want to ask you. What does being all in mean in your life? What does it mean? God is looking to do something incredible through people who are all in. Maybe God's asking you, the Lord really put this on my heart this morning, but maybe God is asking you to go into full-time Christian service. You know, that's something we don't talk about much. We need to talk about a lot more. Because I guarantee you, God calls more people to go into full-time Christian service than are willing to do it. But maybe God is calling you. You know what? That would require a lot of sacrifice. I know it. That would require killing some oxen and burning some plows in your life to make that type of commitment. Are you all in? Maybe this morning you've been holding out on God and you're not even 100% sure that if you were to die today, that heaven would be your home. I'm here to tell you, maybe all in for you is accepting Christ as your own personal Savior. 
you know, Jesus loves you very much. God loves each and every one of you. I mean, he loves us so much. God loves us so much that he sent his only son down to die on the cross for our sins. Right? And then that, that includes all sins. There's, there's none that aren't covered underneath that. And, and God did that because he wants us to go to heaven to live with him. You see, there's a problem. Up in heaven, only perfection is allowed in heaven. Did you know that? Only things that are perfect are allowed, allowed up there. And, and I don't know if you realize this, but you have sin in your life. Okay? Sin is anything you say, do, or think that goes against God's word. So we all have sin. Therefore, we can't go to heaven, which is why God sent his son down to take the penalty for our sin. Jesus Christ, who was perfect, came down, took the penalty of sin for us, and made a way that we could go to heaven. Amen? Made a way that we could go to heaven. And, and he died on the cross, he was crucified, he was buried and rose the third day. And he did all of that and made a way for us to make our way into glory. We are covered by the blood. And all we have to do is ask him for forgiveness. Accept that free gift of salvation and turn our lives over to him. Maybe that's what being all in is for you today. Maybe you haven't done that. That's the first step. When you're all in, you're asking God to perform the impossible. God is looking for individuals who are all in. (sighs) Could you imagine what our lives would look like if we were all in? What what would our lives look like? What would this church look like if our members were all in? What would families look like if mom and dad were all in for the Lord? What would it look like? Parents, if our children were all in, you're like, whew, I can only imagine. What would our lives look like? Look five years down the road. What could God do in and through Fellowship Baptist Church if its members, and I'll include the leadership, were all in? Amen. This message is more to me than it is to you. I need to be all in. What could God do with a group of individuals who are all in? Ten years, twenty years. God is looking for individuals who are all in. First Corinthians chapter two, verse nine says, But as it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. This morning, I hope we can take the life of Elisha, filter our life through it, and not just see what we need to do, but see what God could do through our lives. If we're all in. Let's pray. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org, where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, where you can see what's happening fellowship baptist church if you'd like to visit us fellowship baptist church is located at 3200 reed road clark lake michigan thank you so much for listening and we hope to see you back here again next time